You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. Machine is on, and it's time again to process two items through it. I'm Richard Gibson. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And this is The Versus Machine, the comparison of great things. The Versus Machine is all about education. Education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another. Today's topics, we're talking about Oliver Twist, the story written by Charles Dickens, and Oliver, the movie musical directed by Carol Reed. Since the beginning of civilization, there have been poor people and rich people. There have been those with power and those with none. And while there have been many who abuse their power and shouldn't have any, there have not been that many defenders for the poor, for the downtrodden, for those with wretched circumstances in their life. Charles Dickens was one of the first popular, famous authors to tackle this subject, to be an advocate for social justice. While everybody else at the time was writing novels about war heroes, he wrote about the parish boy's progress. This novel, which was only the second novel he wrote and was released in serial form, format over several years is about the only enduring novel from the 1830s, and it's one of Dickens' most popular works. While Oliver Twist's exact predicament might not happen today, there are still plenty of orphans, underserved children, and those who would rather keep the lower classes down than use the power they have to help them. Due to that fact, a brilliant story and an unmatched writing style, Oliver Twist remains a much beloved work. Many adaptations have been made of Oliver Twist, and today we're talking about the 1968 movie musical by Carol Reed. Let's get into the characters. Oliver. In the book, Oliver is the sickly but resilient and innocent child who has all the evils of the world thrust upon him. In the movie musical, Oliver is an adorable, compliant little puppy. <laughs> uh, you you had told me before I, I saw the movie musical that he was a puppy, and I'm like, and I'm reading the story. I'm like, I don't know how Ryan's getting this. Yeah. I I don't really know what's going through his head. And then I see the musical. And that's exactly what he is. How he just goes along with anybody. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say, like, in the book, Oliver has more of a mind. I mean, yes. he, he basically goes, well, he has a mind, but he has such an innocent mind that he doesn't really understand what's going on around him. And so um, the fact that when he meets Fagin and the thieves and everything, he doesn't realize that they are thieves. He just thinks these people are nice because they're giving him a place to sleep and food. Right. And so it's kind of like... If he doesn't know any better, then how is he supposed to know that these people are bad? Opposed to the Oliver in the musical, literally, the moment he meets these thieves, he's like, I want to be one too. He right. knows exactly what's going on, yep. and he has no remorse um, for it. And mm-hmm. the only reason why he got caught by the authorities was because he was next to the- Jack and Charlie. Exactly. Yeah. Next to Jack and Charlie. Yeah, who let him get caught as opposed to sneaking him out. Exactly. And so that, to me, that shows a really huge difference between the two Olivers. Yes. The Oliver that doesn't know what's going on and goes along with it until he realizes they're doing wrong. Yep. And the Oliver who knows that they're doing wrong the entire time. And, and does it anyway. You know, does it anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the original story that Dickens wrote, as you said, Oliver didn't know 
what was going on. He just just taken into Fagan's place. He's taking stitching out of these various handkerchiefs. He probably doesn't even recognize the letters because he doesn't even know how to read yet. Exactly. So he doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, hey, I've got a job. People are feeding me. I've got a roof. This is cool. Exactly. And then he la- he sees that same event that's in the the musical. He sees. Charlie and the Artful Dodger picking this guy's pocket. He sees it and he's terrified. He's like, I'm not in league with these guys. And he starts running. Exactly. And when that that gentleman getting robbed, Mr. Brownlow, turns around and sees him, he just assumes Oliver's the thief. Mm -hmm. He's the one running away. It makes sense that you'd think that. It, It is a completely different Oliver. In the book, he's he's innocent, he's resilient, he's he's got all these bad things happening to him, and he's still trying to go on. Mm-hmm. And in the musical, you just don't have any pity for him because he's not innocent. Fagin straight out asks him, would you like me to teach you how to pick pockets? And, and Oliver's like, that sounds awesome! Let's do it, man! I'd love to learn how to be a thief. And also, I wanted to put a point out that the Oliver in the book is constantly sick. Through the entire yeah. thing, he is bedridden and <laughs> yep. sick, and he gets hurt, and he's frail, and he's <laughs> and small, he and, he, and he gets shot, <laughs> and you know, like, and he's dirty, and he's like has rags on most of the time, and yep. he just looks sad, and you right. literally sympathize with him just because yes. of that fact, just right. because Charles Dickens has put him in this place. Mm-hmm. Opposed to the movie musical, they make him literally look like the most adorable boy you've ever seen in your entire life with blue right. eyes and blonde hair and rosy cheeks, and he yep. looks completely fine. Right. So yeah, he's not too thin. He's, he's not <laughs> awkward at all. He's no. Totally so halfway normal. through the, the uh, movie musical, you look at him and you go, he's so cute. You're not thinking about right. how you know how right. sad his situation is because his situation mm-hmm. is not necessarily very sad. No. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's kind of like he really has less of a character in the musical which yes. is okay because it is a musical and it's right. a characterization of what the adaptation is but right. at the same time i feel like you're supposed to sympathize with oliver of course. and you don't you really can't he knows he's stealing and he's okay with that exactly whereas the one in the book he's he doesn't know what he's doing he's just trying to have some have some friends and get a roof over his head and he actually does realize before he even meets fagin that Jack Dawkins is incorrigible, as he puts it. Mm. He can't be corrected. He's just, he sees Jack. He hasn't even met him that long. He's like, yeah, this this kid's messed up. His employer probably isn't, so I'm going to cultivate the good opinion of the old gentleman as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But I will decline the honor of Jack's farther acquaintance. Exactly. So he sees the difference. Mm-hmm. Opposed to the, the Oliver. One in the musical. When you see Oliver meet <clears throat> the Artful Dodger for the first time. Yeah. It's not only like he's okay with him being around him, but there was like this slight, almost like attraction to him. And it was really weird. Like the way he was leaning against the little pole and he was looking at him like, hey, boy, what's up? What you doing today? (sighs) And I'm like, I'm watching it going... This is awkward to watch, this and even and even the reaction that the artful Dodger has, he has the he has you know I don't remember what food item he has in his hand, but he looks yeah. up at him like, why is this boy looking at me like that? Yeah, I'm gonna go walk over and talk to him, and I'm like, this, <laughs> it was, this is weird. It was the whole thing weird. was weird, and so like that's why I feel like I'm watching this musical and I'm going, this Oliver is just not. I mean, like he has his moments where you're, you're, he's trying to make you feel sad. Yeah. You know, there's a song. It's sure. literally called "Where Is Love." It's the scene where he's in the basement after he's had his little tiff with Noah and yeah. Charlotte and all those other people in the funeral mm. place. Right. And he's trapped down there. And right before he runs away, he sings. Mm. Where is love? It's so <laughs> cute. It's like it's like oh look at how cute 
he is. It's just like yeah. it doesn't. You don't feel bad for him. You just feel right. like like you just want to hug him. And yeah, it's, it, not, it's not the same feeling. It's at not all. the same feeling. And it, it doesn't. It doesn't make him as compelling of a character, nor as likable, nor as memorable. Exactly. Really. And to me, what ends up happening with Oliver is. It, it kind of happens in the book, but the whole book, you're trying to wait for Oliver to find his identity. I mean, that's pretty much what's going on. He doesn't really yeah. know where, where he's from. He doesn't know his mother. Right. He doesn't know where he came from. Mm-hmm. And nobody's even telling him. Even the people around him know who he is, but they're not saying anything to him. Mr. Yeah. Bumble knew who he was the entire time. Sort of. Well, sort of. Yeah. yeah. But that's what Oliver is struggling with, is mm-hmm. trying to figure out who he is as a person. Opposed to how the Oliver in the movie is, the Oliver in the movie doesn't really know who he he is but he's not really necessarily trying to find out no, i mean he's, he's just going from event to event exactly he's going from event to event and whatever attracts him he yeah. he's just going to go do that yeah. and to me that's kind of missing a lot of the soul behind who oh, oliver yes. is as a person because yes. in the end once he does find his identity i mean that is who his mother and his father was mm-hmm. and who monks is to him and all these other yes. things yeah once he finds that out in the book exactly he mm-hmm. ends up going you know what i don't really want to be that person because obviously yeah. it's not going to help me in the long run i'd rather just be with the Brownlows. right and so like it makes sense to me that you know in the end that's what oliver chose but in the movie musical it's kind of less even it's, it's even less shown it's yeah. less shown to the point where in the end when he goes back to the Brownlows. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter because you don't even see Mr. Brownlow. No. You don't see you see him walk up the um the stoop and then hug the hug maid. Hug the maid. And then that's it. And then it closes. And I go, and that's pretty much to me what the musical felt about Oliver's character is like right. you don't really care about how he feels about it, just no. as long as he gets to where he needs to go and we're done. Yeah, it was very shallow in the movie musical. Fagin. In the book, Fagin is a manipulative villain. In the movie musical, Fagin is a jolly schoolmaster for a team of thieves. <laughs> That's obviously not even close to the same character. No. It's such a drastic difference. It's it's almost more so even than Oliver. It's just shocking. When I read the book, I, I actually watched the musical first mm-hmm. a long time ago, and then I read the book. And mm-hmm. I was kind of taken aback by how evil this person was. Yes. <laughs> you know, how you manipulative and... He's the only reason why, spoiler alert, Nancy dies. Um, (laughs) He's the only reason why Sykes even kills Nancy. He's the only reason why Monks even goes after Oliver to begin with. He he is the one who orchestrates everything Mm -hmm. to his advantage. And that's how he's done it through his entire life. That's the reason why he has any of the thieves around him to begin with, because he has manipulated them into his life. Yeah. He's kept them there with knowing all the things that they have all done. And to me, that's about the most evilest you can probably get to a person in general. And in the musical, (laughs) when you see Fagin, he is literally like santa claus to kind of yeah elves it's it's almost like it's almost like you you kind of like him as a character rather than going this this man is evil and god forbid he's doing these to these people his his character could easily have gotten taken out and honestly it wouldn't have made much of a difference in the musical right you know (laughs) and i feel like he had less of a role Mm -hmm. to play in oliver's demise 
and in everyone else's. Yeah. And so in the end, you're you don't feel that bad for him when he does, you know, end up running away <laughs> right. and walking into the sunset with the Arful Dodger. Well, it's like, okay. Yes. You can <laughs> feel bad for him because he gets off scout free. I mean, he didn't really do much of anything in the musical other than teach Not a whole really. bunch of kids how to pickpocket. By and, dancing around exactly. and being happy. It opposed to the Fagin in the book, you had to have him die. You ha- mm-hmm. you needed that redemption because of all the things that he did. Yeah, we needed some justice there. Exactly. Justice had to be served. Right. He's just too happy in the musical it doesn't make any sense he's like he's running all these child thieves teaching them to pickpockets and he's so happy about it as if he were doing a good thing whereas in the book he's he's not only manipulative and a a real villain he's a much deeper character Mm -hmm. we've got a chain here of sort of like three head thieves in in fagin sykes and monks Mm -hmm. And from the outside, it looks like that was the order from lowest to highest. Monks is over the other two. Exactly. But as you said, Fagin's the more manipulative one, so he he knows how to push everyone's buttons, as you were saying exactly. before, to get what he wants. So he's almost the leader of them. And the funny thing he's is, just looking. yeah, he's a secret leader. He's, he's right. the guy who's go, who goes, I'm going to make you think that you're in, in control, yeah. but I'm actually the one in control. Right. <laughs> and that gonna... wasn't at all, that wasn't the case at all in the musical. No, in the musical, just... literally, he was not in control. Um, mm. He didn't really matter. He yeah. was the one who was like, I'm going to take care of these kids, make yeah. them some sausages and hope they, they come back soon. <laughs> right. Well, that's what so happened. He was like, yeah, you know, no, I, like was. that whole, like, I hope you come back soon part. I was uh-huh. like, um... It's he's their dad or okay. something. Yeah, exactly. He really cares about these children. Opposed uh-huh. to in the, in, the, in the book, he doesn't care at all. No, <laughs> he's like, no, he only cares for them as much as they support him. And if and if and he only cared about Oliver because he knew that if Oliver told, then his whole empire Scheme. would fall. Yeah, right. And so he, he, he that's the only reason why he cared about. Right. where Oliver went and what Oliver was doing. Right, and so again, it wasn't caring about Oliver, it was what Oliver could do. Exactly. Yeah. Sykes. In the book, Sykes is a cold-blooded murderer. In the movie musical, Sykes is a drunken, semi-sinister menace. Sykes comes in later, much later than Fagin in the book, but the whole time, you just you just don't want to be anywhere near the dude. He's, <laughs> he's weird, he's freakish, he's very just very sinister to me no one likes him (laughs) nobody wants to be anywhere near him except for nancy even his dog which for some strange reason still follows him around doesn't even like him yeah he seems very to me i always thought of sykes as the carnal creature like he's very he's very animalistic the things that he does right okay sure it's very off of impulse and off of whatever he feels at the time when I see Sykes in my mind. I always imagine him, you know, whatever he feels, he's going to act upon it. There's no Pretty filter. Much, yeah. There's no, I don't know how he got to the way he did because they don't really no. explain that. No, but the fact that, you know, he has this dog that he completely hurts constantly through the entire yep. book. And it, <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like gut wrenching the way that Dickens, it makes you feel really bad for this right. dog. <laughs> right. That's all I want to say. Sykes is that character that you kind of, want to you hope that something happens to him oh yeah and i think i think when it gets to the end after he kills nancy Mm -hmm. and the whole entire chapter of him having these guilty thoughts and the fact that he thinks everybody's looking at him judging him for what he's done and him trying to kill the dog and to me the dog was kind of signifies him as a person only the inside of how he feels and that's why he hurts the dog constantly because he hates himself as a person yeah when he tried to kill the dog it's kind of like him trying to kill himself trying in in the end he kind of does accidentally kill himself which is a which says a lot you know he accidentally hangs himself (laughs) 
I feel like Sykes is that kind of person opposed to in the movie musical, he supposed to be the ultra evil villain yes. that they make him out to it's be. I mean, to be. The first time you see him, he's drifting into the distance as mm-hmm. a giant shadow yeah. in the alleyway. It's quite menacing. You know, it's very dramatic. There's dramatic you music to be going a monster. on. And then he comes in and you're like, oh my God, this guy is not somebody you want to play with. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, and the fact that Nancy him. looks at, at him with this just like, like this loving look, you're like, how could you love a guy who just <laughs> creeped up through an alleyway like that? <laughs> right. But With his big bag of stolen stuff that he's know, given to Fagin. But the more you see of him as a character in the musical, he suddenly becomes this drunken guy who's like, yeah. who's constantly like, I don't want to shave today. I just want to just sit in my bed because I drank too much last night. Yep. Nancy, can you go and do whatever you got to do? I'm, I'm here, aren't you? Here. Like, right. seriously? I'm like, going to go and, back you know, to sleep. And, you know, the reason why he kills Nancy in the musical was more so he, Nancy tried to get Oliver away. Yeah. And he didn't like that, so he killed her. Right. Opposed to the deeper reasons in the book, which is why I say Fagin is more important. Mm-hmm. Fagin tells him what Nancy was doing by talking right. to Rose and Miss Maley. <laughs> and um, he says that he, she talked to them, and that's why Sykes goes and kills her. Right. Because there's there's more of a reason. Because yeah, it's outright Sykes betrayal. Exactly. He just can't suffer that. And so I feel like... In the movie musical, he was a little bit less of an evil character, and that's why oh, he, even he in the end, when the, where the riot is going after him, and yeah. he's taking taking Oliver for some odd reason, I still don't know why he was he had taken Oliver. Really know. Um, <laughs> like it, I was like, this is not going to do you any good. Now you're running with a child rather than just running in general. Right. He kind of gets shot and then falls to his death. There's less of a meaning to that because right. that means the the mob killed him and mm-hmm. not himself. Right. Except for his entrance. Mm-hmm. He didn't come off as being sinister. No. He was just drunk. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, I, think, I, think I don't know what, whatever. He's just drunk. He's not going to do anything. That's what they were trying. They were trying to tip the hat to, okay, this guy is, is evil, mm-hmm. but they couldn't carry it throughout the rest of the film. That's why it was so surprising when he actually does kill Nancy. You're like, really? That was out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. I did yeah. not know you were even possible. Capable, like, of, doing capable that, right? of doing that. I feel like the book Sykes versus the movie musical Sykes have two very different dynamics. Mm-hmm. Nancy. In the book, Nancy is a heavily burdened consort. In the movie musical, Nancy is Sykes' light-hearted girlfriend. We've got a little theme going here. Each one of the characters is completely different between the book and the musical. And Uh. the the reason why is pretty much because, and I've said this once again, Mm -hmm. musicals are characterizations of whatever they're trying to betray. Sure. And the reason why is because you can't you can't make something as heavy and it being a musical, except for if you're Sweeney Todd. But because <laughs> <laughs> into that musical it's still kind of, whoa, that was a little deep. I feel like the book Nancy, you feel so like she's trying to get out and she's trying to help people and she's yeah. trying to be good, but she's mm-hmm. stuck in this situation where she cannot you know, right. she's chained to Sykes, literally, yeah. and she's chained to being who she is. Right. Opposed to the movie musical Nancy, she kind of looks like she's okay with where she's at. Right. She doesn't really care much. Mm-hmm. She just she just wants Oliver to be okay. It's That's, the same the same thing. If she doesn't want Oliver to get in yeah. to the the whole crime ring, but there's had, it's much stronger in the book. Exactly. She's like doing anything she can to keep him out, and she has less remorse for who she is in the the musical versus yes. the, the movie. Yeah, it's almost as if it's a a totally fine thing it's like you're a baker i'm a thief it's the same thing exactly it's just a different method when i looked at both characters i kind of realized honestly nancy is supposed to be the female lead 
in the mm-hmm. musical. She falls flat because there's not much emotion she can betray with the material that was given to her. Yeah. And so when you see her say, don't touch a hair on Oliver, you don't feel like she has really seen a it. lot because yeah. there's there's less to care for. There's less to care for in Oliver. There's less to care for in Nancy. Right. So you don't really feel much for her trying to save him. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes less. Yeah. Her <laughs> conflicted really. nature is nowhere near as apparent because she seems to enjoy her station in life. And so you don't you don't feel for her as much, nor what she does. And I don't want to say that the musical missed this because I feel like the absence of Rose mm-hmm. was a big important part that kind of balanced out Nancy's character. They both kind of came from the same place. You know, they're yeah. both orphans. The only difference is one woman had somebody adopt her right. in, into a better place and the other woman did not. Right. They both are inherently good, but Nancy has kind of been forced to do bad things yep. and Rose has not. Yep. And so when you see both of those characters, especially when Rose goes, you know, I can take you out of this world and mm-hmm. Nancy goes, you can't because I've been in this world all my life. There's right. no way I can get out of it now. Yeah. That's the point of what Charles Dickens was trying to make. He was trying to say, it doesn't matter who you are as a person, but sometimes where you come from, you can't change it. And you have to live with the circumstances opposed to trying to get out of it. And sometimes there really is no way. And at the, and that's a sad part. That's a really sad yeah. thing yeah, that for is him sad. to say. Right. <laughs> but it's kind of the truth. And that's why I, I feel like the musical was missing that, but I can't really say that because I feel like the musical was saying a completely different thing. Yeah, if Rose had been in there, there would have been like the two equal exactly. female leads and it wouldn't have really exactly. worked as well. So there having was, there wouldn't have been Rose some... out was the better choice for the musical exactly. at least. The Artful Dodger. In the book, Jack is the catalyst of darkness. In the movie musical, Jack is lumped in with all the other thieves. In the book, Jack's the first one that Oliver meets. He's on his way to London. Jack just kind of like sees this little kid just all poor and whatever. And he's like, hey, here's another recruit. And he goes and gets him. Exactly. Between the four or five people that Fagin has under his wing, Jack and Charlie are the only two that actually really ever get a name or ever matter. Whereas in the musical, Jack is really just one of like some 20 kids. Well, There's I see, not really any difference. I feel like in the musical, he was there to get Oliver into the hands of Fagin. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. About it. That and yeah. also comedy relief because the boy was hilarious. <laughs> <Pretty much laughs> <laughs> Big stupid hat and coat. The, the, the whole thing with his giant blue suit and mm-hmm. his giant hat and him fumbling around and literally pickpocking every single person that he walks by that's around him it's kind of like <laughs> this guy is hilarious i love him you know right. you end up really liking the artful dodger because he's very artful in the book there's more of a reason why he's there he is kind of like a little man you know yes that's actually exactly how it describes him when you see him you kind of expect him to just take oliver for some reason in the musical oliver seemed to, to be gravitating towards him rather than the opposite yes in the musical he's important until he fades into the background and he's not very important anymore no not until the last the very last scene he comes out the very last scene and then suddenly you're like oh yeah i remember that boy (laughs) right he has that that blue giant suit on yeah i remember him he he was funny in that scene where they were singing about how cool london is yeah yeah that that giant place (laughs) that looked like a carnival Um, Yeah, yeah he really wasn't very significant Largely with the musical, they just didn't want to make it as dark as the book. But you can't, in the, honestly. Yeah, I mean, in the book, <laughs> half the characters are like, they look villainous, or in the case of the Dodger, is not attractive at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's supposed to be all as dirty a boy as you'd ever want to see. And just all this stuff, and 
than in the musical. He he just again just looks like he, a normal kid like a with normal just a ridiculous with a ridiculous outfit. <laughs> Other than that, there's nothing weird about him. So again, he's just, they're just it's just a much shallower character in the musical. Even in the, at this point, there's not much of a purpose for him at all. And we'll see. I also see when we got to the end of the book where we mm-hmm. see where everybody ends up. Right. He's the one who gets sent away. The reason why he gets sent away is not because he got caught and they were going to do something to him because he got caught. It's more so he got caught and then they were talking about what they should do with him and he decided right. to mouth off to everyone. Because yeah, it was kind is, of hilarious. He is Jack and that's what Jack that's does. What he does. He yeah. talks way too much. Yep. And so they sent him away. And they don't really say where <laughs> they sent him away. They just say he got sent away, which is yeah. very scary because usually when you get sent away earlier in the book they say you know they send children away that are bad to like the ships or whatever sometimes they were it's it's not a good thing it's not a good thing you end up dying basically that's why i say it's kind of like a tip to children like if you do nice things then bad things will not happen to you (laughs) that's pretty much what it's like it's like if you listen to your elders and not mouth off to them then bad things won't happen to you please Listen to them. Don't <laughs> right. say bad things. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't mouth off to everybody, including the cops, exactly. including the uh, judge in the court. <laughs> it's not going to get you anywhere. Monks. In the book, Monks is the frightened overmind. In the movie musical, Monks does not exist at all. He's not there whatsoever. There was really. It seemed like Monks and Sykes sort of merged into one character, yeah. but not even really all that much. The whole thing with Monks being Oliver's brother was just, oh, no. they, they didn't even but really I feel touch like, on that at all. I feel like the reason why is because, once again, Oliver's identity does not matter in the musical. Right. In the book, that's all that matters. And so they yeah. had to put someone there to know what's going on the entire time. And Monks right. was that person. Yep. Because he is really Oliver's brother. Yeah. And so, Which is, it's crazy. I, I didn't really know about Monks when I watched the musical because I watched it before I read the Right, there's the book. no way you could know but about him because I, it's just not there. But it, it, when you read the book, you realize how important he is at the end opposed to towards the middle or, or so. Right. And so, Because I feel like sometimes with the movie musical, they kind of did read half the book and then they said, let's change the ending. And that's yes. completely fine because it is a musical and it's supposed to be a characterization of it. I mean, they even said it themselves at the beginning. Loosely, loosely based. based. They were not exaggerating <laughs> at all. I feel like Monks is very important in the book because Oliver's identity is important. And mm-hmm. so basically what happens in the book, Monks is the brother of Oliver and Monks is there to try to stop Oliver from taking what is rightfully his, his inheritance. Or what he feels is rightfully yeah, his. Yeah, exactly. That's um, not how it was written in the will. No, in the will, it was like, it basically said, if the child is a female, then just give it to her. But if the child is a male, if he does never, he doesn't do any wrong deeds before. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the age was. It was but like before some certain age, yeah. give him the money. Then give him the whole thing and <laughs> Monks will get thing. nothing. And Monks is like, that's not nothing. cool. I want the freaking inheritance. So he was trying to frame Oliver to make him do bad things. Exactly. Getting him in with Fagan and was like, hey, let's keep him here. Let's get him to the forefront so everyone can see he's a horrible person. Trying to become, trying to make him a hardened criminal, which right. obviously backfired because Oliver is <laughs> right. way too good of a person. Yeah. <laughs> right. He wasn't going to do any of that. Yeah. Even when Sykes takes Oliver to um, the Maley's house to rob it, yes. Oliver's like, I might get killed for doing this, but I'm not going to let him in. I'm going to try and run up, up the stairs and, warn, these and warn them, hey, you're. <laughs> Uh, there's a dude out there trying to rob you. It probably wouldn't have worked out for him too no. well because everyone would have been like, what's this dirty kid doing in my house? Exactly. And, and they probably out. shot him anyway. Maybe. It wouldn't have been very good no. for sure. But 
but it would have at least but it least was the right tried. thing to do it was the right thing to do. right and so to me monks is that the character is supposed to kind of balance out good brother versus bad brother yeah and in the end honestly if you see where they end up monks ends up going to america mm-hmm. after he gets half the inheritance that, right mr brownlow split, gives the idea yeah. and oliver's like hey that sounds cool yeah uh, and oliver goes you know that's cool they split up the inheritance mm-hmm. half of it goes to oliver half of it goes to monks monks goes to the new world they say yeah. it's america y'all more likely and um, <laughs> he basically spends it all on whatever the heck he wants to spend it on <laughs> he ends up in jail mm-hmm. and dies yeah Opposed to Oliver, who lives happily ever after with all um, his friends and all his, you know, friends. And so to me, I feel like that in itself shows the dynamic between what happens when you do good and what happens when you do bad. Mm -hmm. And the situations that you're put in, you choose what you choose. And then what happens afterwards is just what happens. It's it's all in how you choose. Yeah. And to me, Oliver chose the latter. (sighs) Oliver chose not to be bad he could have right. could have would have opened pretty the easy. door they could have stolen all that stuff and mm-hmm. he could have been fine and he could have been in that world for the rest of his life yeah but instead he decided not to right opposed to monks who literally chose to be a bad person yes. he chose to try to force Oliver into a world that he doesn't need to be in and force mm-hmm. things and that's what ends up happening to you and to me if you look at all the bad people and you look at all the good people good things happen to the good people bad things happen to the bad people yeah with the exception of nancy yeah so i mean we've got two interesting two pairs here we have in the book at least we have nancy and rose yes they were were both born orphans one picks the good side one picks the bad side just to put those terms to it and then we have oliver and monks are both brothers exactly one takes the good one takes the bad so there seems to be a strong case for um nurture over nature Mm -hmm. these two pairs were born the same way but they had vastly different outcomes because of the environment they were in exactly in the funny thing is they were born in the same place and so you expect them to do the same thing right but everyone Charles, at the time expected them exactly, to do the same thing everyone dickens, in dickens world charles dickens wanted to put a point to say that just because you're born in a poor place does not mean that you are basically a bad person because of right. it and in that world in the victorian era at that time pretty much upper class people thought of the lower class as horrible people oh yeah yeah. like they think that just because you have no money you are also a criminal and a thief and a liar and an adulterer and um, dirty carrying diseases exactly front of rats and weirdness and in all actuality it's not who they actually are most of the people who were poor were put in that place because they were forced there or just born there just because their parents also ends up happening is they think they have to do these things they think they have to steal because Mm -hmm. they have no other choice right because the the workhouse was not a, a good option and so that's why I feel like Charles Dickens did do a very good job mm-hmm. at portraying that. Yeah. But, of course, the movie had none of that in it. So No, because two of those characters were completely absent, so we don't have, <laughs> we don't have that dichotomy. It really wasn't dealing with the same subjects yeah, much at all. Yeah, completely different. Songs. Obviously, we don't have any songs in the book. This isn't The <laughs> Hobbit. They're not singing constantly. But with the movie musical, there is obviously songs throughout. But I didn't really feel like they did anything important. I will say this. I am an avid person when it comes to watching a musical and thinking, does this song need to be here? Why are these people singing? And is there a reason for them to? You know. Yeah. Um, and so when I watched the musical, the first song that you hear is when they're in the workhouse and it's called <laughs> Food, Food Glorious Food. Food. And so I got... It's creepy, you know, actually. It wasn't... Well, the way they all march out. Well, it was supposed to be like drones and they were you know, yeah. kind of forced to walk in two lines and they're yeah. all organized because they tell them to, that kind of thing. But right. 
I feel like when I watched it, I went, these kids are hungry. I see that. They're in a workhouse and they're hungry. Okay. And then, you know, two more minutes into it, they're in a workhouse and they're still hungry. Okay. And then at the end of the thing, they're eating and I'm like, you're in a workhouse and they're still hungry. Honestly, they could have just marched out without singing and then sat down and started eating and I would have still felt the same exact thing. Only difference yeah. is I wouldn't have thought, these kids are pretty talented. <laughs> That's the only difference. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, they're spinning with their bowls and everything. So Yeah, so I mean, it, it wasn't, there wasn't much of a purpose to it. And then it could have been done like it was like some three, mm. three and a half minute song, and it really could have been one verse, and, and, and that the, would have been sufficient. And, you know, it kind of was like that for the entire musical. They yeah. would have a line in a song, and they would repeat mm. it a couple times, mm. and then you realize this is just filler for you to watch people <laughs> dance and sing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I would say that because all the songs were like that. And the only, the only one yeah. I feel, felt like was was interesting was "Boy for Sale," and that was because he was walking around yeah. saying this boy is for sale, and I was like. Sounds like a child yeah. selling rings. <laughs> Sounds really bad. It's probably just because we're watching it now and not in the right. 1960s. But yeah. it still <laughs> still kind of made me go, ooh, this is weird. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But I did want to say one of the songs that were what was really awesome to watch, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't describe the place very well, <laughs> yeah. was Consider Yourself. And that was a, a big one. Like When you know, they reached London? Oh, yeah, that's a huge yeah. one. I think I've seen different versions of that song in different stuff. I, I okay. bet you Family Guy did that. <laughs> song one time because <laughs> they do serious? you know musicals and oh, no. revamp them in different ways i guarantee you they did that one i just don't remember when but <laughs> basically they make london look like a giant party where people Freaking are carnival. working and dancing at the same time and then suddenly you get to the end you're like wait there's a carousel in london and there's and like london these, is awesome are they selling cotton candy too this is awesome <laughs> no they actually did see a circus didn't they yeah oh there my was gosh a circus yeah there. it was completely insane and so when i when it's i like, watched that's not what london was in <laughs> 30s. In the, That's in not the what was going on. were like, on. there's rich people walking around and it's cold and it's dark and there's snow and there's poor people, poor people just streets. dying in the streets and they're sitting around and, and they're like, please, can I have a penny? Can can you give me a penny, please? And, and all these people are so money grubbing that they look at them and they're like, get off my shoes. And I was like, you know, yeah, that's what kid. I imagined. Like even watching it, I mean, even reading the book mm-hmm. and there's a part where Oliver goes to this place with, okay, yeah. I can't remember Mr. his name, Sourberry. Mr. Sourberry, and they go to see um someone who is deceased and the family around this deceased woman i think it was a woman this there's a man who was there who was literally screaming she starved to death she starved to death oh my god i couldn't do anything for her i feel right. so horrible yeah being these kids are crying and this old lady's in the corner like i knew this would happen I knew this was, I was like, this right. is so creepy. And I just imagined right. this dark place opposed to consider yourself. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, know, it's like, it's like two different worlds. In it, your head. it is exactly two different worlds. <laughs> you know, so I, I feel like even the songs kind of made each place look a lot different and each mm-hmm. world look yeah. a lot different. And, yes. and to me, the reasons why they were singing didn't really need to happen other than these people are singing for entertainment. And to me, right. that's I, all it was. I also said to Richard after we watched it that in the 1960s, there was a lot of musicals oh, that yes. were going out mm-hmm. and a lot of Hollywood money around musicals. <laughs> and the only reason why they were making them was because people sat and watched them. And if yeah. you think about what was going on at the time, there was a civil rights movement. There was a whole bunch of other stuff. It was, it was an interesting time. To um, say the least. And so they basically used musicals and movies as distractions for what was going on around them. Mm-hmm. When you see a, a musical like that, 
it doesn't really matter if they're singing or not. It's entertaining. Yeah, and right. you really want to watch it because these people are dancing. Look how amazing yeah. the choreography yeah. is right now. And yeah, God, you that really little can't boy deny can that. really sing his like he can really right. sing and, and hit these extremely high notes that little boys usually can't sing. <laughs> not and, quite, no. You know, yeah, like, the choreography it, really was, it was very good. <laughs> especially on Consider Yourself. That was it was excellent. I mean, I think most of the songs so was dancing. Much. I think like uh-huh. literally the song had like what I don't know two stanzas. I don't not many at all. Yeah, it was like, it was all about the choreography I mean, and making London look like a circus. I mean, there was okay. There were a lot more words to it. I thought. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. There's sure. a lot more words, but to all me, all the same, they they weren't as important as the choreography no, was. The choreography was very important. That was what it was. Including the song was. You know, all the music from the show was like that. You mm-hmm. know, I'd do anything where where the little boys would um got the carousels like umbrellas and started oh. spinning them to make it look yeah that like was ridiculous that was, that was awesome really good it was genius and it had <laughs> nancy sitting up there with the artful dodger and they're singing to each other and they're and like going and i'm like that's kind of cool like yeah. i'm not gonna lie to you you know it didn't make any sense but it, it was kind of cool it made no sense but it was okay it just was i think the song was there just to say these kids like nancy because she's yeah. cool my favorite song though was i'm reviewing the situation uh, reviewing the situation that was fun and it was well done mm. but it was slightly unnecessary fagan's like i could get out of the stealing life exactly yeah but i don't really know what else to do so i'm <laughs> exactly. gonna stay here like, and, and, but it didn't need the three or four verses yeah. <laughs> as much as fun was, as it was seeing him exactly. run back and forth back but, and forth and do all these these things i feel like the songs didn't really do much for the story it didn't add anything to the story and didn't push characters forward all right well we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back with the versus machine Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast available at agentsofshield.tv. Only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Are you a vampire fan? How about werewolves? Then you're probably already watching True Blood on HBO, but are you listening to the review of each episode of True Blood via the Fangbanger podcast? Check out great point-by-point discussion that leaves you with a thirst for more. It's the Fangbanger podcast. Fangbangerpodcast.com. That's fangbangerpodcast.com. Sound. It brings us thoughts, memories, and feelings that are often hard to describe. Thankfully, it's never been easier to describe the quality of the products we use to make the Two Guys Talking podcast shows. Heil Sound has supplied us with some outstanding deals that allow us to bring you some of the best quality podcasts that we just simply couldn't provide without the quality items Heil Sound provides for us. Be sure to stop and visit the Heil Sound website at HeilSound.com. H-E-I-L-S-O-U-N-D.com for your recording needs. Whether it's the outstanding performance of their new Finn microphones or the stability of their PR2 microphone booms, one thing is sure. 
you'll also be able to give a clear, concise description of what you get from using Heil Sound products. Satisfaction. Tell them that the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network sent you. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising can have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. I'm Vic Porcelli. That's one guy. And Big Slick, A.K. Andy Kazin. He's the other guy. Hiya. Hey, that's me. You know, Andy and I catch some hot hands when we're playing poker. But if you want to talk about hot sauces, chili peppers, any food with real heat, it's Scott Roberts and the Weekly Firecast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. And we're back. This is the Versus Machine. I'm Richard Gibson. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And we're talking about Oliver Twist, original story by Charles Dickens, and Oliver, the movie musical by Carol Reed. Let's jump right back into it. Symbols. Clothing. How it separates the rich from the poor and the defiant from the compliant. Let's start with the rich and the poor part. You Um, had a lot to say about this, Ryan. Yeah, I did. Because I loved how charles dickens put things in perspective as to the little tiny stuff that people were wearing and the people mm-hmm. were doing especially when nancy they basically kind of dress her up so mm-hmm. that she can be in the high society place for so five she can seconds look like so she's oliver's brother figure out exactly yep. where oliver is going and you know the key in one hand and the basket in the other yep. and the got like a shawl, shawl and stuff she looks all nice and she looks very nice and mm-hmm. very put together opposed yep. to Apparently what she was wearing before was just a giant frock and didn't really matter. No. You know, <laughs> right. just because of what you wear is how you are seen. Yes. The whole thing with Oliver, when he does meet the Brownells for the first time after he's gotten sick or whatever and has right. been bedridden, they finally give him a new suit. Yep. And that's super defiant for him as a character. He goes, yeah. I've never worn stuff like this. Right. I've never been in a place. This I didn't even fits know, well. I didn't even you know, know it's sleep good. inside of a bed. You right. know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> they like, like threw away his old clothes, give him a new one. Exactly. And then when he gets taken back into Fagan's, they do the opposite. And they Strip they, him of it, and, yep, and they, they give him his old stuff give back. Him his old clothes back. Wasn't it, it actually the same exact one? Exact same somehow things. found it when the Brownlows threw it out. What happens is Oliver gives it to this Jewish person That's or right. whatever, That's and the right. Jewish person ends up giving it to Fagan. Fagan and also saying a bit of where Oliver is. That's right. And that's how Fagan has his clothes when he comes back. He's like, here's your yeah. clothes back. Here you go. Right. He's You're like, don't you feel better in these? Yeah, you look like, so no. much better in those because that's who you are. You are that person right. in those clothes. Yeah, he lays it on pretty thick there. And that's how important clothing is. Right. And even in the musical, they kind of touched on that. A little bit. A little bit. With, with, it was really just with Nancy with her freaking red dress oh my god <laughs> she's the only one i mean jack's got a blue humongous coat no. but it's not that bright no especially not compared to nancy's nancy bright red dress, red dress. Yeah, and to me and, and she wore it through the entire film i don't yes. think there was any other thing she wore mm. other than like a few accessories here and there that 
she threw on because she was cold or something. Right. It was important to see Nancy like that because mm-hmm. she was the female lead. And in yeah. the, it, as a female lead, you have to have something that shows that you are the female lead right. on the stage. Right. But and, she was also <laughs> the only one going against where she was. Exactly. She was the opposite. She was supposed right. to be the opposing person mm-hmm. in, in the whole world. Since you don't have much other female characters to go on, like yeah. Rose or Miss Maylee uh, and all the other people that were in the book, you have to give her more something more so that mm-hmm. you know that she's that much more important. Right. I like how you can take just what somebody's wearing and give them a character. And to me, right. like I already talked about the Arful Dodger in his blue coat, the way he dresses and it's all those stuff. Hat. I'm not gonna retouch that over that because it's obviously there. It's very important to think about clothing as giving that person a character and giving mm-hmm. that person an identity. Right. Both of them did that quite well, both the, the book and the musical. <laughs> The painting of Oliver's mother. When we see this in the book, there's this painting. Oliver likes it. They take it down. Because it bothers him. Right. They're like, oh, it bothers you. He's like, no, I really liked it. Well, when you get better, we'll put it back up. (laughs) This is because Mr. Brownlow saw the similarity. And he's like, I really got to find out if Oliver's who I think he is. And he does all this research into it. And it's it's a lot of foreshadowing. You figure he's, I think he's talking to Mr. Grimwig later. And he's like, they look identical. The painting's probably of Oliver's mother. But we just need to find that out first. Mm -hmm. We don't want him to to be thinking of this. In the book, there's there's the foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. We don't, you assume that's what it is but you don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this, I'm like, are we going to get like all Prince and the Pauper here or something? (laughs) In the musical... They throw it all out all at once. Oh, yeah. Literally, there, like, there's no foreshadowing. There's no suspense. It's just, here's a painting. Hey, it's his mom. Oh, maybe he gets this inheritance. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, that, like, okay. What was the point of that? <laughs> was, they don't even was, talk about it no, later. Literally, like, they, no point. they mesh together all the things that happened in the Brownlow's place mm-hmm. uh, kind of in just two scenes. The first scene is- It was in, like, um, five seconds. You know, <laughs> it was ridiculous. wonderful feeling. The, the song, this wonderful feeling. And then the, mm-hmm. the next thing is- Hey, you're now in these good rags. Here, take some books and go off and give them to this person and give them the money because they're late. Uh-huh. And I'll see you later. Hey, look, he does look a lot like that painting on the wall. Next scene. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It was like, whoa, hold on. What just happened? <laughs> right. They. I mean, I realized that Oliver Twist is a huge book and this was not honestly that long of a musical. I mean, it kind of was, but there was no way to put the entire book into most of the, the time frame that they had dancing, most of the musical was just dancing right so this detail i guess they just felt like they needed to touch on it but there yeah. was really no point they may as well have just left it out exactly. in the musical because they didn't dwell on it long enough whereas in the book it, it's a very important it one. was a huge symbol of who he is and that's why even then so when they have the picture the fact that the brown most have it mm-hmm. it tells you this is where he belongs right the owl <laughs> yes the owl we actually do want to talk about this for a little bit it's not in the book at all in the musical honestly we rewound it so that i could see this again because i swore that i had to have missed something they get to fagin's place all the kids fall dead silent and are staring at oliver they don't know who he is and the camera goes from one set of kids to another set of kids it just does that for a while and then suddenly it lands on this owl this extremely serious face who's like this, just glaring at like, you like who the heck are you and why are you here <laughs> and i burst out laughing and i'm like no go back i missed something no i didn't that's exactly what it was this owl had no point no it was just it was actually hilarious and i've i looked at but there was no point and i've looked at like a lot of things we looked up a whole bunch of stuff and realized that we're like is is the owl fake no it's it's real real. it's really there (laughs) it's really glaring and fake and it it makes you wonder what the director was thinking to put it there i have no idea but i feel like 
the owl was kind of almost comedy relief for everything yeah. that was going on. I mean, but but the musical wasn't dark enough to need com- no, comedic exactly. relief. And, and to me, the owl was supposed to make that place also look super menacing because yeah. owls are very serious creatures. Yes, you look the look them, on them, they you're like, ah, like, he's gonna kill me. They look I'm like leaving. They're, they're pissed off. They could be happy and they're still pissed off. They could get <laughs> right, a mouse, mouse and they're and eating they're it off. and they still look pissed. And so when I saw the um the owl for the first time i was like oh well, we're only gonna see this owl for like five seconds and right. then during the nope. reviewing the situation song fagin is literally talking He's to this singing owl, like to this owl to and this the owl, owl is, and the owl has no emotional whatsoever the entire time so i'm like this owl was kind of important isn't it <laughs> i don't really you think that it is you think it's important because we have this camera shot that is nothing but the owl's face fagin singing to it it's there the whole time so it seems like it's important but it's not no no so I think that it's like a symbol for the musical compared to the book as a whole mm-hmm. because it completely missed the point. The <laughs> There's it, not any any purpose exactly. to it. And the funny thing about it was you're, the entire time you're just wondering why. Why? Why is this here? So you're wondering throughout the so, musical, why are they singing? Why are they dancing? Why are they still singing? Why is Owl here? here? <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to touch on that. Okay. Settings. The workhouse, where Oliver first starts in the workhouse. In the book, it's, it's a horrible place. Mm-hmm. There's all these people. They're making all the kids work. They're not feeding them. They're supposed to be helping them get out of their poor state in life, but instead they're just using it to have huge canes and weird hats and a lot of food. So it, it's, it's a really dark, horrible place. You don't want to go anywhere near it. Whereas in the musical, it's it's not all that bad. It says in the book, and I just wanted to read this, at the very moment when a child has contrived to exist upon the smallest possible portion of the weakest possible food, it did perversely happen in eight and a half cases out of ten, either that it sickened from want of cold or fell into the fire from neglect or got half smothered by an accident in any one of which cases. The miserable little being was unusually summoned into another world and they gathered to the fathers it has never known in this. Basically, it's saying they die. They die in any number of horrible ways. <laughs> and, oh the redi- and the way that Dickens wrote this was really shocking. It's really easy to see a horrible person and call them a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Dickens didn't really do that very much. He was like, hey, look at this horrible person and all these horrible things they're doing. I'm either going to like give them a backwards compliment or just let you come to your own conclusions. In sarcasm. Right. Through the entire thing. The oozing with sarcasm. <laughs> It, it was told how they developed this new meal plan of the gruel. It's like we're gonna get a, we're gonna get water real cheap. We're gonna get oatmeal real cheap. We're gonna put it together and make this thin gruel. And the result was that it was really, really expensive plan to implement mm-hmm. because coffins are expensive. Not because of the food. Right. Because all the kids die because they're not getting fed, so they have to pay the undertaker. <laughs> exactly. And that's how he pitches it to you. It's so backwards. Like it turns out the plan was really expensive because. Coffins are expensive. You're, you're just shocked when you read that. You're like, hold on. This was not what I was expecting him to say at all. But it works. It actually works better than if he was just berating these people constantly. Exactly. And, and, you, and, and we miss all that. And you, and you stop yourself to go, oh, my God. <laughs> I need to take a break. Hold on a second. Like, I literally, like, when they were like, oh, there's also scolding kids. I'm like, oh, God. Hold on a second. <laughs> Let me breathe. <laughs> right. You know, like, that alone made me just want to cringe. And, uh-huh. But it, in the workhouse, you in the musical, in the movie musical, you see it for five seconds, and mm-hmm. it literally looks like, it looks like a factory 
that yeah. they decided to dirty up a little bit mm. and um, put these children in there. And, you know, and, it's, and that's really about it. You just see them it. at the meal. That's all you see. They're not wearing any shoes. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> you get tetanus from that. I mean, like, I don't really. <laughs> Something, like, yeah. You know, so, like, you don't really think those things that the book literally portrays to you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's missing that horrible aspect. But yeah. at the same time, it is a musical. And it is a glossy Hollywood yeah. musical. Right. Nobody's going to want to see that. Mm-hmm. They're trying to escape from their own lives here. Right. London. The book portrays it as the horrible place that it was. Rich people walking around in their richness, poor people walking around in their poorness, and then dying in the streets. <laughs> Whereas, consider yourself, portrays it as a big carnival. Almost like they're all going, hey, Oliver, stay here forever. It's because the most it awesome place here. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're just completely different, again, since the the time the musical was made, everyone's just trying to entertain themselves. Exactly. And get away from what they're in. Nobody wanted to see what it was really like. Exactly. And at the time, London was probably the worst place to possibly be at that time. <laughs> More or um, less. I don't remember exactly what time period. It, what, what was the... What was it was written in the 1830s. Year, in the 1830s? Yeah. Okay. Set around there. Um, London was a horrible place at the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was an absolute horrible place. And mm-hmm. that's when Charles Dickens decided to write this book because he see mm-hmm. I mean he right. saw that it was, he was a living horrible in place. It, yeah. <laughs> right. He was there. So he went I, I feel like it's kind of like a tiny little documentary of what was there only in a fictional mm-hmm. way. Yes. And put in through his eyes. Right. And so I feel like when you read the book you have this horrible feeling about where these people are mm-hmm. opposed to the musical where you don't Fagin's Hideout. In the book, it's a it's a very dark place. It's dimly lit. There's not any room. There's no furniture. No. All the windows are blacked out. The fact that Oliver has to sleep on a it wasn't a bed. It, it, was it wasn't just, even a mat it was, or a cot. It was a sack. It was, yeah. it was a sack. Period. Yeah. That's that's all he had to sleep on. Mm-hmm. Which is messed up. Like I think I think they never explain where all the other kids are sleeping, but I guess they're all sleeping on sacks too. Pretty much. There were only four or five other ones, which is another major difference. In the musical, there's some like 20 kids in here, and which and, really doesn't make any sense for on multiple levels, but the hideout <laughs> almost feels like Neverland. Ew. <laughs> well, yes, but Fagin's all happy. All the thieves are happy. Everything's cool. You know. It's just a happy place with it, a weird owl. With a weird owl. Um... <laughs> Again, just a huge difference. They're taking a more lighthearted way of showing exactly what right. those places are because it's a Hollywood musical. Right. But know? it was so lighthearted that you didn't see any of the darkness, really. And it doesn't... It just didn't come off that way at all. if you're watching the musical to, to go, oh, this is how it was in London in the 1800s, then you are completely wrong. In every way. <laughs> Pretty much. Themes. They, they're really just not present. In the musical at all. <laughs> I say this, there's a theme in the musical, but it's literally glossed over to the point where you don't see it. Don't even see it. And yeah. I, and you know, I had to watch it twice in order to see. <laughs> I was like, okay, the first time I just went, wait, that was like two and a half hours of people running around and singing and dancing and right. having a good time. Hold on. Let me watch this again. And the second right, so time So what'd you I get the second it, time? I realized that they are saying bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. But sort of. the problem is, is all the bad people that bad things are supposed to happen to them don't. You kind of liked them during the musical. If if they gave them a bad outcome, you would have been mad at the musical. <laughs> you know, bit, yeah. it's kind of like 
and I'll say this, the end of Little Shop of Horrors. If you gave those characters a bad ending, then people would have been very upset. If yep. the Artful Dodger <laughs> and Fagin did not run into the sunset, then people would have been really pissed off because they liked those characters. Because they were likable characters. <laughs> yeah, as they were walking off into the sunset, just because I had read the book, I was honestly expecting some fairly comical thing, like, I don't know, a safe to fall on them, some <laughs> cop to come out and just tackle them or something. Da, 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 nope. Da, da, da. Okay. Right. <laughs> but none of that happened because they were made to be likable exactly. characters. Exactly. And... and Technically, when you watch it, you don't really see them. You, you see them do wrong, but mm -hmm. it's in the funniest way possible. So. Right? Yeah, he's picking pockets while singing. Hey, this London's awesome! Exactly. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna snag this apple, take a bite, and chuck it away. Yeah, exactly. Social justice. That's really the main thing of the book. As I was reading before, as I was reading the book before Oliver gets to London, the book is far more about the, just how terrible it is to be poor and how terrible it is to be in a workhouse. It's just a, a huge social commentary on poverty, mm -hmm. just kind of seen through Oliver's eyes. Mm -hmm. He's almost he's almost a uh, side issue. Exactly. In the first 8 9 chapters of the book and he just he becomes the protagonist who once he gets to London. Mm -hmm. Before that it's just all about the poverty, how the workhouses they don't work. No one's actually trying to help the poor. They're really just actually trying to kill them off because they're seen as a menace and a plague so why should we try to help them they're not humans they're criminals we need to get rid of them and dickens saw that as i said at the start everyone else is writing about war heroes dickens saw this issue he's like we need to fix this this is messed up this is this is wrong in so many ways let me just tell you all the ways that it's wrong and hopefully we'll get some people in here to fix it exactly and i think in that when when you look at Oliver the character the Oliver Oliver didn't really have much of a character at the beginning of the book not really you know no. because he, he wasn't ever able to get one right because, you know, because of all the things the that are going on around him yes so that gave Charles Dickens a lead way to say since I'm this character doesn't really have a character right now mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about all the things that are going on around him right and show you that he basically is in this place that does not give him an identity. So I'm not right. going to give you one mm -hmm. until it matters. Right. And it didn't matter until he got out of the workhouse. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter mm -hmm. until he got out of being in, you know, the gang of thieves. It was mm -hmm. literally like right after that where he was in this place where he was given a voice right. to say how he is as a person. Yeah. You know, then you were like, oh. I see Oliver does have something to say. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, until you he know? gives his, his story it, it, to the Maleys or the Brownlows, exactly. whoever it was, he, it was, he it doesn't was, say much yeah, at all. Rose, goes, Rose basically goes, tell me about your life, because I feel like, you know, in her, her whole theory about how he was never given a chance to begin with mm -hmm. was true. Right. And that's why she, she was like, well, let's hear what he has to say. And I was like, what? People are going to listen to what <laughs> Oliver has to say? That's Seriously? a first. Okay, let's listen to what he has to say. Right. Charles Dickens didn't really give him anything to say. And that's why he could describe what the workhouse was, describe yep. how, how the justice system works mm -hmm. with him getting framed. He got to touch on all those things mm -hmm. because Oliver just so happened to be there. Right. Capital punishment. It doesn't happen in the musical. In the book, Fagin is hung after he's arrested. There's the whole book. He's a villain. You're not really supposed to like him. You feel a little sorry for him on occasion, but not really. Mm -hmm. You're like, man, maybe he's got it. No, he's a horrible person. <laughs> and then we get to the last few chapters. He's arrested. He's he's thrown in jail, like, over the weekend because they're going to hang him on Monday or something. And while he's in there, 
just the mental breakdown he has, you do feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Because after, I mean, we've had a whole book. He's a horrible person. Mm-hmm. He gets here and you feel sorry for him just because of the way he's deteriorating in this prison cell. Mm-hmm. You would think after all this time, you'd be like, great, he's getting killed. This is awesome. He's a horrible person. He needs to die as you felt for Sykes. But you don't feel that way. No. So it really seems like Dickens was opposed to capital punishment. Yeah. Even then, so if you look at Sykes and how he died, mm-hmm. you know, the whole chapter of him feeling kind of the same thing that Fagin <laughs> was, the difference was this. He had self-loathing. Yes. And self-loathing to Charles Dickens was more so if you've done something bad mm-hmm. that is so unforgivable, then self-loathing does not matter. And that's why we didn't feel anything for Sykes when he died. We well, like, I felt yes. that was anticlimactic. Thank I was kind of hoping like, it would be exactly. more. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was like <laughs> what happened? Okay. Right. Um, that's fine. But post yeah, at least you know, he's out. When, when Fagin dies, you're like, oh. It kind of sucks. In front of all these people. Right. I'm pretty sure the Dodger was watching it, too. I mean, just all this. Just a whole bunch of bad. There's there's a lot of emotion opposed to public lynchings, executions. Obviously, Charles Dickens did not like. Uh And that's why he put such emphasis on this is a horrible thing that's happening to this person, even though he did horrible things. Right. And and that nobody deserves to die this way. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what he is saying. Yeah. That's kind of weird. This whole book, you hate Fagin, Mm -hmm. he dies, and you don't feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Is capital punishment wrong? So we want to know what you guys think. Do you think capital punishment is right? Is it wrong? Did Fagin deserve what he got? Or should something else have happened? Tell us what you think. Go to versusmachine.com. Click on that uh, contact button in the upper right-hand corner and let us know what you think. The Indictment of the Church. The subtitle for the book is The Parish Boy's Progress. It's a parochial workhouse. There are various magistrates, various managers over this place, and they're always saying, you need to be thankful for what you've got. They have this in the musical, may God make you thankful for your meal. Exactly. And my knee-jerk thought was, because I thought it was in the book, if God made them thankful for this tiny bowl of gruel, that's the only way they could be thankful for it. (laughs) Because it's horrible. Exactly. It's like not even really enough food to even make them survive. But even then, so I think the weird part is, you know, in Mr. Bumble, it's a very important thought Mm -hmm. when it comes to the indictment of the church, basically, because he is kind of like that through the entire book. He, to me, stands for the church, honestly. Yeah. Because the way he goes about telling oh not him but somebody else around him i can't remember what who it was but he basically told oliver you should pray for the people who feed you You know i was actually just (laughs) going to pull that up and when he says that oliver it's kind of like oliver would if he knew how to pray yeah i don't remember where it happened but even then it's fairly yeah i think it was one of the unnamed managers of the place but he, he says to oliver i hope you pray you say your prayers every night and pray for the people who feed you and take care of you, like a good Christian. Yes, sir, stammered Oliver. The gentleman who spoke was unconsciously right. It would have been very like a Christian, and a marvelously good Christian, too, if Oliver had prayed for the people who fed and took care of him. But he hadn't, because nobody had taught him. Nobody had taught him how to pray. How to pray. (laughs) And they're in, this is like a church workhouse. Mm -hmm. You'd think that would be one of the first things that they did. Exactly. But, but they, they didn't, didn't all, and they were chastising him for not doing something he didn't know how to do. Exactly. Uh, that, never... that's, a, that's a real, that's <laughs> a real issue. I mean, there's, 
there's so many problems with that. It's not even right. But even then, so Mr. Bumble is is the person that walks around and says, you know, well, this is the right thing. This is not the right thing, you mm-hmm. know. And he goes to Mrs. Corny and he basically courts her and kind of makes out with her a little bit and then goes out <laughs> and um, sees Noah Claypool and Charlotte and they're mm-hmm. making out. And he goes, shame on you for that. And I'm right. like, uh, sir, you just did that like two chapters ago. So what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And he's walking around with his big cane and his cocked head, like he's all important, and he's whacking people with his cane left and right. And it's just it's like it's like in you know, he's he's kinda doing it in the name of God in his mind. Yep. You know, and that's why it's like how, there, there's problems here. How could you walk around and make these people feel so horrible? Right. And you know, make this this poor boy do these horrible things mm-hmm. and be around you and you not do anything, yet you call yourself a Christian. It just doesn't line up. And, and you know, Charles Dickens really said a yeah. lot of that. He was like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, look at all these people who call themselves Christians. Look at what they're doing. Right. There was another significant one. They they touched on it a little bit in the musical when Oliver had his big row with Noah mm-hmm. and the sour berries. And Mr. Bumble comes in and he's like, the problem with Oliver is that you fed him meat. And it happens in the same thing in the book. He says, that yes, you, you fed him thing. meat it's and meat. it's, and it's given him an artificial spirit, not suiting his position in life. Exactly. Not suiting his position in life. That's insane. <laughs> and they don't, they, since all these asides that Dickens makes in the narration aren't present in the musical, cause you couldn't really bring them in. Mrs. Sourberry's like, oh my gosh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And she's like condemning herself for it. Exactly. And Dickens says, well, he was Oliver was really fed the scraps that the dogs didn't want. So the fact that she's condemning herself, she's a very pious woman mm-hmm. that she's doing that because she was innocent of it in thought, word, and deed. And all, just the way that And even then, so, crazy. like, to me, I, feel more, I felt more upset because they didn't think to say the reason why he was upset was because Noah was talking about his mama. Uh-huh. And that's not something you do. <laughs> no, he's an orphan, <laughs> and you're saying, "Yeah, man, your mom was basically a slut." I mean, yeah, and okay, gonna, of course yeah. he's gonna get pissed about that. Exactly. And to, to me, somebody would think to say, "It's probably not meat. It's probably the fact that he's upset that somebody talked." About. But they're not thinking that because mm-hmm. they are so high, and right. Oliver is so low mm-hmm. that they 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 should ignore the fact that human emotions are intact, regardless uh, of what he eats. Yeah, even though he has no money. <laughs> He still has emotions and it's just not seen. And the fact that it's based that those ideas were basically propounded by the church at the time and encouraged. Again, Dickens, everyone else was writing about war heroes. Dickens is like, no, we got problems right here. Let's fix them. (laughs) Karma. I don't normally think about this in terms of karma, but But there is quite a bit of it. There is so much karma in this. Mm -hmm. That's why I said earlier, you know, everybody kind of gets what they deserve in the end of the the book. The musical, not so much, but definitely the book. Sykes kills Nancy, then Mm -hmm. he feels guilt for like a a horrible period of time, tries to kill his dog because of the guilt, Mm -hmm. does a whole bunch of things, ends up killing himself by accident right hmm. he's trying to run Karma. away yeah he, sykes was so guilty as we mentioned before he was thinking everyone was out to get him he's in like this tavern in a corner everyone's ignoring him and some dude comes in with some miracle uh clean cleaner it'll clean everything it'll clean wine beer mud blood and sykes hears that and he kind of like freaks out he's like they're talking about me there's blood on my stuff i, I didn't know I'm, I, I gotta go you know it's right like- <laughs> and he freak, like runs out in a panic and everyone's like i didn't even know there was a guy over there exactly you know and that that torment that he felt he deserved it. exactly he just like beats nancy to death for no reason really yeah. and after living this horrible life so yes he got what was coming to him and then 
um, Mr. Bumble in his fate. The fact getting that he, all fired. That was awesome. And, and <laughs> not only that, but everything that happens to him, period. Like, you know, yeah. the fact that he courts a woman who literally is still married to some other guy who is about on his deathbed. Mm. He finally dies and he goes, huh, let's get married. And then he realizes that that woman is not who, who he actually wanted. And honestly, he only yeah. married her because of what she has. Because, yeah. you know, while, while she was gone... He basically kind of takes inventory of everything of she owns. House. Yeah, that's and it's kind creepy. of. I was like, that's a little bit messed up, dude. You a little don't bit. really care about what she has, not who she is as a person. Yeah, because he was going to get a new position and he's like, hey, if I get married, I'll be that much more qualified exactly. for the position. And, like, uh, you know, he basically marries her weird. for that, realizes that she's a complete. I can't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> she's very domineering. Yes. Let's put that to it. She doesn't, she doesn't take any crap. He, basic, he basically realizes what he's put himself into mm. then he gets fired for everything that happens to oliver and the fact yeah, that he was... and miss corny knew what was going on right yeah mrs bumble at the at time the, at the time and <laughs> mr brownlow really let him have it he's like so you knew that he had been stolen from he was under your care and you didn't say anything about it and then you sold what was stolen from him and only came to tell me about it so I could give you a reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to make sure you never have a position of trust ever again. He loses his job. He loses his job. And she loses her job. And all the credibility. Whatsoever. And to make it, to just, this isn't the icing on the cake. This is like the entire, it's like a whole second cake. <laughs> he ends up in the very workhouse that he was overseeing. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Working there. So we totally, <laughs> totally deserved it. And it, was, it was just great to see that. We get that a little bit in the musical, just not as much. Exactly. It really needed to be hammered home. Exactly. But I guess since Mr. Bumble wasn't as present Mr. in the Bumble musical, was very, you know, it wasn't as necessary. Once again, very jolly. So. <laughs> so the only weird thing of karma was in the musical with Fagin and the Artful Dodger walking off into the sunset, mm -hmm. which we've talked about. While they were likable characters in the musical, yes. and that made sense, mm -hmm. the dichotomy between them, between the book and the musical, you didn't want to see the... Fagin in the book right off into the sunset. Yeah, you did not. No. Which was then Goodwin didn't, but then yeah. it, it was just so weird knowing what happens in the book to then see that in the musical. It was it was quite jarring for me, honestly. But, that, but that's it though. I feel like when you read the book before the musical, like you did, mm -hmm. opposed to me watching the musical right. and then reading the book, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like it, it, it almost like I don't want to say ruins it for you, but it makes you go, wait. This is not the same story. I'm it's kind of upset really that this is not the same story. <laughs> yeah. I wanted it to be the, the same story somehow. Yeah, and somehow. to me, you can't discredit what the musical was because it right. was a really good musical. It just did not make a very good adaptation whatsoever. No, no so, not in the least. And so when you, I, I, I just want to say when you do watch the, the movie musical, just say – the karma that happened in the book is not going to happen in the musical. Right. Because the musical is nothing like the book, except for they have some of the same characters some doing of the same some characters. of the same things, yeah. and some of the same actions are taking place. Yeah. With that's flashy related. dancing and lots, lots of singing. Of so <laughs> that's yeah. what I... Loosely based is, yeah. is, is correct. For whom do you feel pity? I actually want to pitch this to the audience first. In the book, for whom do you feel pity? Is it for Oliver? Is it for Sykes? Is it for Bullseye, Sykes' dog? Uh, for Betsy, she's kind of a minor character. Just for whom do you feel pity? T let us know. Go to versusmachine.com, click that contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page, and let us know what you think. But Ryan, for whom did you feel pity in the book? Um, maybe the most. For whom did you feel the, the most, most pity? The most pity. Hmm, I did not think about this. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I feel the most pity for Nancy. Sure. And I, I feel like that because of the, then I said this before, the one scene that she has with Rose, that, mm. that whole, you know, Rose, like, I can get you out of this. Just let me help you. And she goes, I can't be helped. I'm already too deep into this. Right. I'm stuck here. Yeah. There's no way you can yeah, do it. She and feels like, very and helpless. I, feel, I was like, hopeless. Now, I think that part, I would have said Oliver, but the fact is Oliver doesn't know any better, you know? Right. He was and born so he into didn't the really, He didn't really have the eyes of what Nancy does. Mm-hmm. Nancy's been, Nancy has been living for a lot longer. Right. And so I felt, I literally felt pity for this woman. Mm-hmm. I was oh, like, yeah. you know, she is good at heart, but she's stuck in this place and she can't get out. And, right. and I kind of understand because if you are in a place for so long, you just think you belong there regardless of what oh, other yeah. people say. In the end, when she does die, because of trying to do what's right, right, it makes you feel even worse, right? Because there's because you know? there's no justice there. <laughs> there's no justice. And right. She's to me, she's the only person that really deserved it. Really deserved the justice. Yeah, and didn't get it. And didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I'm not go, like Charles. Why did you do that? <laughs> it's like it's more so like. Well, she was avenged. I get, I get why. Yeah. But at the same time. I really felt bad for her when oh, she yeah. did die. Yeah. I really felt bad for what happened. And mm-hmm. I really wish that things could happen differently for her. And right, I guess why right. that's why I feel more pity for her than anybody else in the, in the book. Yeah. I th- I think I'd have to agree with you. The The chapter where Fagan's rotting in prison, even though it's only a few days, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the torment that Sykes has, less so for Sykes because he completely deserved it. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I I was surprised how sorry I felt for Fagan while he's in in jail. I think it was, it was like five days or something, but he was just like just dreading his final outcome and how he's like, I've left nothing. All I've done is bad stuff. He's like, this sucks. He actually starts like basically hallucinating. Like Oliver goes into him, goes in to see him one of the last days, and they're like, Yeah, don't get too close to him. Yeah, he's not right. He, he's not right. And like they can't even hold a normal conversation because. Fagan's lost his mind so much. So I suppose just to give a different answer than you, I'll, I'll say <laughs> <Damn>. Fagan. <laughs> we can't agree on everything. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that about does it for us here at the Versus Machine. Thanks for listening as we compared Oliver Twist, the original story by Charles Dickens, and Oliver, the 1968 movie musical by Carol Reed. I'm Richard Gibson. And I'm Ryan Stevens. And we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.